You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. everybody. Uh, Welcome to Crossroads. So glad you're with us. My name is Jimmy, and I'm the pastor of Recovery Ministries here at Crossroads, and I'm really excited to be kicking off this new series we're calling Winning, Finding the Wins in a World of Loss. And that's so uh, appropriate now because the world and the rhythms we are all in have, have totally changed, and it, it, can, it can feel like finding a win these days kind of feels impossible, right? But it's not. And that's why this series that we are launching today, I'm so excited to, to get to launch this, that's why this series is so very important. Now maybe you've had conversations in your home with your spouse or friends or family over the past few months that maybe they sound something like this. Like, a man, it just seems like everything, uh, everywhere we turn, things are really hard. Nothing seems to come easy. You know, we feel it. Our family feels it. Our family has felt this share of disruption in our normal rhythms of our life, educationally, financially, socially, and other ways. And I would say that a lot of us feel uh, the same way inside of us, too. We just want to see some wins. But that brings up a really great question. What is a win? What am I talking about? What does it mean to win right now in this new life as we know it, this new life we find ourselves in? Because before all this happened, before COVID and everything else, I think we might count wins a little bit differently. We would consider wins something like a a win would be like a great week at the sales office, a healthy bonus at the end of the year. Our, 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 Our kid made the cut for the volleyball team, or, or we went on a great vacation to Cleveland, Ohio to see the Browns play the Steelers. That's the greatest vacation I can think of, right? Anyway, send me the emails, not Pastor Brian. But those were such easy ways to count a win. And then all of a sudden, right, those usual wins seemed to just go away. They were stripped away. And when it all hit, we were left wondering, would we ever feel wins again? I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. People are feeling this. And when that happened, we started to look at all of our life differently. We're forced to look at everything differently. We we started to see maybe the worst things instead of the best in things. We might begin to assume that the the worst in our spouse is starting to come out. And our marriages maybe are, are beginning to crumble. This is documented. We're hearing this. As parents during these times and, and looking for wins, we start to worry about our kids, their future, and our ability to do anything to help them. Singles were reminded of, of how alone they are. And, and some, we hear stories of this all the time, they're, they're going into dark places personally or even get into dark relationships so at least they're not alone. And our students... Our students out there, man, they've, they've come to a place of almost numbness. They've, they've almost come to a place where they assume that things are not going to go well for them. So in a world where winds are few and far between, it can be hard to know what to do. And that's why we need to hear from God now 
more than ever. Because if the world's winds are failing us, are we to assume that the same is true about God? Are the winds of the world even linked to what God considers to be winds? In other words, is winning all about getting and having? Or is there more to it? Because if winning in life is all about what we have and what we can get, I think we're in a world of trouble. However, it may or may not come as a surprise to you how God defines what winning looks like. And it's actually found in the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 12. And here we read this. He says, I know what it is like to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. There it is. There it is. The definition of contentment. The definition right there, nestled between the worldly pillars of plenty and want, lies the secret of winning in life from God. Its name is contentment. Contentment. Contentment is a feeling you can't describe, but you know when you got it. It lets us look at what we have and, and what we're going through and even what we, what we lack. We can look at all of that through lenses of peace. But, but contentment is not just the, the Goldilocks finding the porridge of, of life that is not too hot or not too cold, but is just right. No, no. Contentment is a peaceful, sober, and joyful look at what God has given or has not given us in this life and realizing He is good. We just sang about it. He is good and our life is perfectly fine just as He designed it to be. Contentment is the key that unlocks the door that seems to be shut in our face right now in life. Get this. Get this. Contentment is the win that we can never lose. Contentment is the win that we can never lose. That's the heart of this series that we're launching today. The heart of it. What we want to walk away with is how to find contentment in our life that is unaffected by any virus or the roller coaster culture that we're living in. Because we search for contentment, we will find Jesus in the middle of the fray telling us the same things he told his frightened disciples after his crucifixion and resurrection. He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. John 20, 21. Now, if contentment is a feeling that you can't describe, but you know when you got it, then it stands to reason that it's also true to say lack of contentment is that feeling that says, this isn't working, but I can't explain why. And this does explain what a lot of our marriages are experiencing right now. The absence of contentment. Contentment. Now, how many of you, and, and I want you to just think back, okay? Think back to when maybe you first met a boyfriend or first met a girlfriend or, you know, your future husband or wife. Think about those feelings you had way back then. You know, the, the butterflies, the sweaty palms, the, the dry mouth, uh, the, the feeling of excitement when they walked in the room. I remember that. Boy, it was just great. And how many of you 
thought something like this. Man, oh man, am I blessed to be with this person. I can't wait for us to get married because this is someone I can truly be miserable with. I mean, like in five years, I could be so stressed out with this person. I can't wait. I can't wait to argue with him or her. Oh, let's jump into it right now. Has anybody ever said that? Eh, of course not. I hope not. No one thinks that way when they're falling in love. Man, it's just all tinglys. And this is why I love that high school and college students and single people are hearing this stuff because, because 90% of Americans get married at least once. So if you're not married, this is good to hear because the difference between success and disaster usually depends on the amount of knowledge and skills that someone has and how to relate. Skills we develop for marriage. Healthy, satisfying marriages don't just happen on their own. No, no. They're built. They're cultivated. They're maintained through hard work, commitment, and technique that is founded on an intimate connection with Jesus Christ. That's what they are. That is why we're talking about today. That's why what we're talking about today is about finding the wins in our marriage when the new rules and rhythms of life are causing our marriages to go out of balance we can start interpreting those unsteady feelings as facts and that creates a sort of erosion that begins to affect our marriage that that causes us to believe maybe our marriage isn't doing so good maybe we are losing the fight to stay together maybe the grass is greener somewhere else, right? We're hearing this. So what do we do? How do we get contentment back in our marriage? Well, you know, in ministry over the last nearly 25 years, I've had the opportunity to counsel uh, many, many married couples. I was able to earn my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And, and I've, I've been able to have a rich and interesting career. And interesting is a, is a kind way to say it, as a marriage and family therapist. And at some point in my counseling experiences, I was, as I was counseling all these people, I began to see a common pattern emerge. Because I realized that I could boil down most of these couples' problems to one common denominator. And this is it, that they had lost their contentment. Or further, maybe they never had it to begin with. And of those couples who could not find contentment, this principle that I'm going to share with you right now proved to be, almost every single time, proved to be the missing ingredient in their marriage that was preventing contentment from growing and flourishing. This was a missing key that would unlock contentment in their marriage. Now, let me say it here. It's not the key to a perfect marriage because there's no such thing. Are there healthy marriages? Yes. Can there be excellent marriages? For sure. Can I have a perfect marriage? Not on your life. But can a marriage be characterized by being content? Absolutely. Over the years, it became clear to me the number one issue in marriages is probably not what you think. It wasn't what I thought. It's not a lack of communication. We always hear that. It's not a lack of physical intimacy. 
It's not money. These are not the main issues in marriages. No, you ready? The number one issue in marital relationships is safety. 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 Now, I'm not talking about physical safety, okay? Because I understand physical safety is a, is a non-negotiable part of marriage. If there's anything about physical safety that, that you question in your marriage, there's, there's other fish to fry. But what we're talking about, what, 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 what's, what, that being said, what I'm referring to here is relational safety or emotional safety. Is your marriage safe for each one of you? This is what every married person asks of their spouse or soon-to-be spouse. Do you have my best interest at heart? Are we in this together? Can I trust you? Are you going to crush my heart if I become vulnerable with you? A safe marriage means it is safe to be vulnerable. It's safe to be imperfect and it's safe to make mistakes. Now, how great does that sound, right? That by you being so safe in the eyes of your spouse that they're just naturally able to open up to you and naturally share with you their successes, their failures, their struggles and fears, their joys and disappointments, their needs and even their wants. That they are not having to hide from you and they're not having to do things in secrecy. They feel so safe in your love for them that they can come and tell you anything. See, safety is an extraordinarily important thing to build into our marriage relationship. The natural result of this openness is contentment. When you are open, when it's safe to be open, you are able to share your feelings and your needs, which are two incredibly important things. If you can't share your feelings and needs, listen, if you can't share them, then your marriage is not a safe environment for one or both of you. When the marriage is not a safe environment, then you have conflict, hurt feelings, misunderstanding, assumptions, frustration, and anger on a regular basis. A healthy marriage can have those things from time to time, but, but that's the norm in an unsafe marriage. And you are saying things and doing things that you regret. You're not living the kind of relationship that you once dreamt of. And you don't know why. Listen, safety is so phenomenal because when you have a safe environment, you're having fun. You are content. Listen to this. Contentment cannot exist without safety. Contentment cannot exist without safety. That's so important. Now, almost every couple, with a few exceptions, when I would ask them what they think the main problem, you know, the couple came in, sat down for a session, and they, I would ask, what do you think the main problem in your marriage was? And without, without fail, they would, they would do this number, right? The other person is the main problem. And a big clue that safety is lacking in the marriage is when we routinely play the blame game. Sounds like this. We would not be here in counseling if she, if she would just stop nagging me. Well, I wouldn't have to nag you so much if you would just get off your sorry butt and help me around the house once in a while. 
Well, why should I help you around the house if you won't get a job and you won't help contribute? Well, I am contributing by staying home and raising your kids. These are things I've heard over the years. Almost word for word. Not very safe, huh? You know, by the way, there are many times that I'd be sitting in a counseling session with the clients hearing all this stuff and I would just kind of wander off in my thoughts and start thinking, uh, man, these people really need to see a counselor. And then it would hit me, oh, that's me. I better, I better get my head back in the game. I, maybe I'm the only counselor who ever thought that. I don't know. We'll, we'll know maybe soon enough. But, but how do we make our marriages safe so, they can, so contentment can grow? Well, listen, we're going to use the word safe as an acronym, S-A-F-E, okay? And let's jump into it right now. Let's find out how to do this. Number one, the S stands for suspend judgment. Suspend judgment. That's kind of a hard thing to do. But another way to say this is to be completely fascinated and curious about your spouse. Now, what does that mean in the real world, right? Listen, I'll tell you what that means. I'll tell you a story from my own marriage. When, back in the early days of our marriage, I, there was a time, a couple years, I worked a lot of different jobs. And, and I'd come home and I'd be really tired. But my wife stayed home all day because she was homeschooling our young children. We had... Um, two daughters that were being homeschooled at the time. And so I'd walk in, and the house gets messy during the day, but I would walk in, I'd walk in the door, and I would do this to my wife, and, and I, would, uh, I would affect her deeply. I, I would go like this. All I had to do, without saying a word, I would just walk in the door, see the mess, and I would go, and let me tell you, let me tell you, that sigh to Tanya would communicate volumes of data to her. Wrong data, but volumes of it. When I would sigh, she would hear, I'm not good enough. I'm a disappointment as a wife. I'm a disappointment as a mother. Does he think that I can't tell that it's messy? Let me ask you, did I have a right to get upset about that? No way. But if I took the time to be fascinated and curious about Tanya's day, things would have gone much better. If I took a few seconds and just asked, now wait a minute, what kind of wife do I really have? I mean, is she a mean, cruel, insensitive wife? No way. She is a very loving and very caring and hardworking and a great mom to our kids, better than I was a dad. Do I really honestly believe she meant to disrespect me by letting the house get into disarray on purpose? Of course not. I knew she didn't mean it that way. In a few minutes, I could have circled back to the facts the facts being that she's a naturally great mom who instinctively prioritized the kids first, their nurture, their well-being, their education over how the house looked. If I would have suspended judgment, I might have seen the clutter and disarray as signs of life happening at the hands of a great mom raising great kids in our home instead of seeing it as selfish criticism. I might have stopped to think about how hard it is to homeschool our kids, about how she may have been struggling with her own self-confidence 
or maybe she was struggling with doubt, not to mention the anxiety that comes with knowing that your children's whole education and future is all on her shoulders. You know, during that time I was working different jobs, I, I was getting a little burnt out. We traded roles, and, and she went to work, and I stayed home to homeschool. And I think in the six months that we tried this, I set our kids back, educationally speaking, uh, about two years. I probably couldn't have been arrested for truancy if we lived in California, right? It was pretty hard. Listen to this verse, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It is easy to see the smudge on your neighbor's face, but be oblivious, let me say it, oblivious to the ugly smear on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when in fact your own face is distorted with contempt? Whoa. It is this whole traveling roadshow mentally all over again, playing this holier-than-thou-art rather than just living your part. Listen, the reality is we don't know all the facts. I didn't know all the facts. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, No one can really know what anyone else is thinking or what he is really like except that person himself. Suspend judgment and instead become fascinated with the other person's experiences or reasons or events. Stop trying to think you're a mind reader because that never works. The problem with mind reading is that all we're really doing is putting our own neurotic beliefs onto them. It may or may not be true. We don't know. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 2 through 3 says this, Sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. We honestly don't know as much as we think we do. Let's face it. God knows everything. We, however, do not. So suspend judgment. Suspend judgment. If, if we want to be fascinated with our spouse instead of mind reading and completing the story in our head, stop for 10 seconds and ask yourself, could something else be going on? Maybe they're having a bad day today. Who knows? You know, when you get honked at and, and, and get, you know, that certain California wave from the other driver that, that's kind of mad at you, I'm learning and I'm trying to learn, I'm getting better at it. Instead of reacting and getting angry with that person, I am learning to say, wow, I wonder what kind of day they're having. I wonder what is going on in their lives, causing them so much stress uh, that, that they have to yell and honk at me. Maybe there's a big emergency, right? Maybe they just found out that someone they love has been injured. Maybe a pipe burst and, and their home is being flooded. I don't know. That, 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 but that's, that's what it means to be fascinated and curious about others and suspending judgment. Suspending judgment helps open the door for safety in the relationship, which leads to contentment, growing strong, and becoming the norm. So suspend judgment. Number two, appreciate your differences. Appreciate your 
differences, right? Now listen, my wife and I are completely different people. We're pretty much opposite of what some people consider the typical traditional male and female stereotypes, right? Uh, here's, how, here's how it looks. She changes the oil in our trucks. I load the dishwasher, right? As a matter of fact, all I got to say is, I think my truck needs new spark plugs. And before you know it, she's out there, she's wrenching on the truck, changing the spark plugs, getting all greasy and stuff. And you know what? If you're out there laughing right now, that's okay. Laugh it up. I'm comfortable in my own skin. You know, when we go on vacation and we, and we have to go on these long drives, right? I want to stop every time I see a sign, every single sign that identifies any town with the word historic, right? To me, that word historic seems to unlock my imagination of what that town may look like, what its history is. Is it Mayberry? Is it quaint, right? I just get so excited. Tanya, on the other hand, sees that sort of thinking as pure torture and a huge waste of time. This is absolutely true. She'll, she'll say, uh, we can't stop. What are you, crazy? We got to get our 700 miles of driving in today. You know, what's really funny about that is if we stop for food when we're driving on long trips, if she's driving, and the key word is if, because uh, she's more than happy to uh, forego eating, uh, she, can't, she can't enjoy it because she's sitting there watching all the other cars go by that she spent the whole day passing, right? It's like NASCAR to her. And, and so, uh, but it's funny because in spite of all of our differences, Scripture tells us that we're all created in God's image. You know, for us in the early years of our marriage, me and Tanya, it was a battle so much for who was going to be right and who was wrong. Just about everything we battled that way. But after 30 years of marriage, this year is 30 years, we have finally come to learn and accept that we're different. And that's totally okay. Matter of fact, those differences I just described to you, and I could tell you many more, but those differences between Tanya and I, we just laugh about now. They just don't matter. It's just funny. Now for you, it was, like many people, the differences that attracted you to each other, right? Because we like the opposites. We don't want to marry somebody like ourselves, right? But if those idiosyncrasies that were so cute when you were dating are now becoming attributes that you're resenting, I got good news for you. I really do. Because as your marriage grows safer and safer, your love for those little quirks and those personality traits is free to grow back, and it can. Why? Because... When the marriage is safe, then you know whatever quirks and traits your spouse shows, underneath it all, you know their motives are good, that the quirks are just that. They're simple quirks. They're fun. You can love the differences between each of you when the marriage is safe. Contentment frees each of you to see God's face in the other. Listen to scripture right here. Genesis 5, chapter 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. That's what it says. In Genesis 1, 26 through 27, it says, And God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they, may be, that they may rule over the fish in the sea 
and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When we celebrate our differences in our marriages, that helps safety develop. Thus, it allows contentment to take root and grow. Now, let me tell you another way that we build safety is to remember, and it's the F in our acronym, S-A-F-E, fight for honor. Fight for honor. It's a fight. When we honor each other, what we're doing is placing high value on them. Matter of fact, the strength in honor is in its definition. Webster defines it as high respect, esteem, and exalted title or rank. In practical terms, it means to recognize the worth of our spouse and to decide to cherish them, decide to cherish them as the treasure they are. Honor instructs us to put our other half ahead of ourselves and others. But it's also giving them the very best version of you instead of giving that away to others. That's so easy to do. Building honor in a marriage, listen, it's a mindset. It's an attitude. And it may take some practice, right? No, no one comes out of the womb uh, ready to honor and, and do it perfectly. It takes some practice. And especially when challenges arise. In these crazy times, it's often difficult to remember the promise we made at the altar to hold our spouse in high esteem, right? You promised to, to honor and cherish. And we all said, yeah, heck yeah, right? When that happens, the last thing we want to do, when we start losing that, the last thing we want to do is honor someone who has angered us. And we also tend to forget easily all the wonderful things about them, not on purpose, but because life happens and erosion takes place. Now listen to this. One great reminder that, that can help you. In, in recovery, in Celebrate Recovery, we um, really promote the idea of a gratitude list. At the end of the day, write down some things you're happy for. Keeps your mind straight. But we can do that with our marriage, and we can call it an I love you because list. And I love you because list is a very, very helpful way to remind us of the reasons we love our spouses. It's a living document, meaning it grows over time. It, it, it doesn't shrink. And it should contain all the reasons why you love your spouse. The extraordinary things they do or say, right? The funny moments that you share together. There's something special about writing this down. If it brings a smile to your face, then write it down. Let me ask you this. Have you ever met someone famous, right? You, if you meet someone famous, it's usually uh, on the spot. You <laughs> didn't expect it. So what did you do? What did you do when you met that, that famous person? Your eyes probably got real big. Maybe your mouth dropped. Maybe the adrenaline inside you started rushing. You know, you're kind of like, whoa, this is incredible. A good example of this for me is when I met one of my heroes uh, in the field of marriage and family therapy in person. Okay? It was so exciting. I met Gary Smalley. Okay? And, and many of you may know that name, Gary Smalley. We were in Colorado. Uh, this is my daughter, Sarah. We were in Colorado, and we were in this little town, I mean little, called Divide. And Divide, that's why I'm doing this, Divide is really an intersection. That's all it is. But on uh, one corner of that intersection, there's a little barbecue joint. Now, I've been reading Gary Smalley and following him for years and years and years. And of all places, 
I meet him at this little barbecue joint. And when I met him, I was just like, oh, I got totally excited. I couldn't believe that, that I was meeting Gary Small. I got to talk to him. It was so great. Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> what do you do when your wife comes home from work or your husband comes home from work? Often it's kind of like, eh, how's your day? Good. Well, let me ask you this. Do you ever do something like this? When they walk in the door, do you ever go, do you ever say, wow, I can't believe it's you. Hey, kids, kids, come here. Look who's here. It's mom. Let's hear it from mom. And everybody goes, right? I dare you, I dare you to try this at least two times per week. Okay, two times this week, when your spouse walks in the room, go, I can't believe it. And with your kids, applaud your husband or applaud your wife as they enter the room. See what that does for building safety. See what that does in taking you towards contentment. Now, listen to this. Another thing we can do is we earn trust. We earn trust. I still work on this. 30 years into this marriage, and I, I am working to to continue to maintain trust, right? Because we're one bad decision away from blowing all our trust to smithereens, no matter who we are. And listen, trust is given. It's not something that comes automatically with a marriage. It's not a guarantee. It doesn't just happen, right? Trust is given when we earn it. And when you break it, you have to earn it back. And that's very hard. It may sound simple, but listen, listen to this. Because we want to be trustworthy with others, Proverbs 10, uh, verse 9, it says this. It says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Okay, and then let's move along. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. That's a pretty good picture of marriage. Look, when we injure people, we have to earn that trust back. In recovery, we call that making amends. That means we go to the person we hurt if it's safe to do so, right? And if going to them doesn't cause more harm or damage, but we go to them and apologize, and when possible, we try to make things right through action, not just talk. Now, of course, we hope to receive forgiveness. Everybody loves to receive forgiveness when we've hurt them or messed up, but we don't expect it. When we're making amends, you don't expect anything in return, including forgiveness. It's wonderful to receive it, but you don't make amends to receive it. Now, through Celebrate Recovery, we've, I've, I've been in Celebrate Recovery for quite a while. I've been able to acknowledge and take ownership of my negative and hurtful behavior from the early years of our marriage and parenting. And this has led me to the understanding that what it means to make what we call living amends. There's all kinds of, uh, all kinds of amends that you can make, but talking about living amends. Living amends is not just me saying I'm sorry again for my hurtful behaviors. It's not about making excuses I was tired or I had a bad day or whatever. I can't make excuses for my hurtful behavior. Living amends are when you seek to make amends and then back it up by living out those amends on a daily, regular basis. Now, you can't be perfect. 
but you're seeking to live it out. And in my case, that meant to live my life differently from here on. In a nutshell, this means, uh, this means saying I'm sorry, of course. That's a part of it, but it's not enough. Now, the reason I say that is because I can't tell you how many men I've counseled along the way that, that, would talk, uh, that I would talk to, and they just didn't get it. They didn't understand why their wives couldn't just accept their apology and get over it and let it go, like Elsa, right? So many of the husbands I dealt with uh, that would break the trust somehow in their marriage uh, would end up actually playing the victim somehow in this when their wives wouldn't forgive and forget. Isn't that crazy? It was almost as if they were victimized when they were the ones that broke the trust. They had a hard time understanding that there's no quick fix. That because they broke trust in the marriage, they forfeit their right to set the trust recovery timeline. For me, I have to live out my amends from now on. For me, that means consistently doing whatever I need to do to continue to grow in that area. To walk my talk. To own my stuff in the matters that arise in marriage. To take personal responsibility for what's mine in our conflicts. Not what's hers, but what's mine in our conflicts and issues. And by doing this, I'm becoming more and more safe to my wife, allowing contentment to grow and thrive. Listen, remember, the number one issue that married people struggle with in their relationship is not communication, it's not money, it's not physical intimacy, it is safety. If you are willing to suspend judgment, appreciate your differences, fight for honor, and earn their trust, man, you're going to see amazing things happen. Listen, here's the win for marriage. You ready for this? Contentment is allowed to flourish when we learn how to be safe with our spouse. Let me say it again. Contentment is allowed to flourish, is allowed to flourish when we learn how to be safe with our spouse. And that's a key word, learn, learn. Listen, I want to tell you, recognize that the feelings that come with the changes in your marital rhythms don't define the facts of your marriage. Yes, things are different, very different. Yes, things are tougher, more, uh, more than usual. Yes, you are quite possibly spending more time with your spouse than you are accustomed to, and, and that can cause some tension. But don't let the feelings define your marital reality. You decide if you're going to follow through and allow God to make the changes necessary to create safety in marriage. Because even though the world is changing, God is not. That's good news. Remember, to win in marriage is to have a safe marriage. And having a safe marriage doesn't happen overnight, right? I just told, I showed you that word, learn. This takes time and effort, and you're going to goof it up, but, but trying. Listen, love is seen in, in the effort, not the product. So you just trying to do this better is going to speak love to your spouse. 
And we want to help give you the opportunity to do that, to grow and learn. And so again, I just want to remind you, September 12th, we're hosting a one-night event called Marriage Night. What a great night. What a great night. And here in our parking lot, we're going to be streaming an online conference. We're going to hear from marriage experts. It's going to be a time to laugh and to learn and discover new stuff of how to honor each other and create safety in our marriage. That's the work you got to do. That's the work you put into a marriage to make it great. Not perfect, but healthy. Healthy. All of this is predicated. All of this is predicated on the fact that Jesus is Lord and God gives us the strength to accomplish this. We can't accomplish this on our own. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.